It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're talking football, a little bit of women's basketball, baseball, and so much more. It's all coming up on episode 295 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We record on Tuesday, April 25th, 2023 from our high tech studio at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center right here in Blacksburg, Virginia. And we will go ahead and let you know that there is mass drilling taking place below us, construction, whatever it may be. So we uh, we will hope it does not impede on the show, but we will uh, forewarn our crowd. If you hear drilling, do not be alarmed. Uh, we welcome you in, whether you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcasts, or if you're watching over on YouTube. If you do happen to be on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future TSL content. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. All right, I think some introductions are uh, in order here across the way. Senior staff writer Andy Bitter. Uh, To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair today, managing editor David Cunningham. Behind the scenes, producing Nick Brown, as always. And I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. And again, we thank you for uh, tuning on in. Let's get right into our football content today, gentlemen. First and foremost, football players transferring out. Three announcements this past week. Two in the quarterback room. Not a lot of surprises, though. Devin Farrell and Taj Bullock hit the portal within the last couple of days. A little bit earlier in the week, it was Elijah Howard, a cornerback uh, in DB's rooms that uh, hit the portal as well. Yeah, Elijah Howard was a third-string guy, and a really talented group of defensive backs is coming in this summer. Uh, So I don't think there's any surprise there. Uh, Bullock is the same class as Kyron Drones who was ahead of him on the depth chart. So I don't think there's any surprise there. Devin Farrell is kind of caught between, he's just one year behind drones in terms of eligibility, and he's just one year ahead of Pop Watson. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's just not a lot of separation between quarterbacks in in that one one area of the depth chart. Uh, There's a lot of guys who were very similar in age. So there was going to be, I mean, we said it before the spring, like there's six quarters, Excuse me, I can't talk today. Six scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. There's no way there's going to be six on the roster at the end of the spring. So uh, I think I've, I've I've been expecting those departures since before the spring, to be honest with you. Not surprised at all. Yeah, and this puts them at 87 total scholarships. They still have to prune two more to get to the max, and based on the number of targets they're, they're going after in the transfer portal, I would expect more than that uh, to continue heading to the portal right now. Uh, yeah, Elijah Howard, you know, he, he moved to running back briefly last year and then back to cornerback when they had some injuries of those young guys. So that doesn't really come as a surprise. Whenever somebody's moving around <laughs> positions like that, trying to find a place, uh, you know, perhaps a, a better opportunity would be elsewhere with the quarterbacks. I mean, that's just sort of the nature of the position. I mean, you, those guys want to play. And if you're buried on the depth chart, it is very difficult to play. Uh, you, you look up and you see two older guys that are sort of separating themselves in the race. If you're if you're Taj Bullock, you go, oh, is he a Richard sophomore this That's year? Correct. Yeah. Uh, Drones. You know, if I'm not going to play now, am I going to play in a couple years? If if you're Devin Farrell and when he signed, Brent Pry was already talking about positional versatility with him. <laughs> So perhaps that's a sign that maybe quarterback wasn't going to be in the cards for him here. He tried it for a couple of years. If he wants to play quarterback, I think a, a, another place would be 
uh, a good opportunity for him. So, yeah, not too surprising with these. It does thin out the quarterback room quite a bit now, though. And you have those two top guys, you know, Wells and Drones, one one A, whatever order uh, you would put them in right now. I'd probably put Wells first just based on experience. But uh, it gets very young at that third string spot now. Is it Pop Watson? Is it Dylan Whitkey? They're both true freshmen. They've been here five minutes. I mean, it, it has not been a long time that they've been in college at this point. Ben Locklear walk on in that spot too. So uh, I suppose you're in trouble if you get out to your third string quarterback anyway during a season, but uh, it, it would be pretty rough here. And also it's interesting. This, this puts a bow on the uh, Justin Fuente era for quarterbacks uh, with Bullock and, and Farrell transferring Ooh. out. All the quarterbacks are here now have been recruited and brought here by this staff. Uh, so I, I wanted to go through, I, I tweeted this the other day and I didn't write it down. So I have to access my Twitter account here of the, uh, the guys that came in under Justin Fuente's quarterbacks, uh, Gerard Evans went pro after one year, one great year, just signed in the European league, Hungarian league, Hungarian. Yeah. League. I thought it was Hungarian. Oh, that's exactly the league. You somebody, want to sign in. somebody if tweeted at me. You're going to go to Europe. It might as well. Somebody tweeted at me. It was Diablo fan account that tweeted at you. Yeah, it was. Somebody tweeted at me, uh, <laughs> Let me find what it was. The words, I'm just like, you're making these words up. He's playing for the Faharfar and Throners of the reigning HAFL champions. I'm like, those are just Game of Thrones words that you're throwing out there. These are not real words that you're putting on this thing. Anyway, Gerard Evans, one great year here, then he went pro. Probably earlier than anybody thought he should have gone pro. And I don't know if he had that NFL skill set necessarily, and that's played out over the years here. Josh Jackson mm-hmm. went to the portal. A.J. Bush came here from the portal, went back into the portal, played at uh, Illinois. Hendon Hooker into the portal twice, once didn't leave, once he did leave. Everybody knows the story after that. Pretty good career at Tennessee after that. Uh, Ryan Willis finished his career here as the backup. Uh, he did get benched that year, and they did go to Quincy Patterson ahead of him in that UN, or after instead of him in that UNC game uh, after he came in briefly. Uh, Quincy Patterson went in the portal. Braxton Burmeister went in the portal, then su- switched to wide receiver, slot receiver okay. with San, San Diego, Diego State. State. Uh, Taj Bullock went to the portal. Uh, Knox Kadem, who I forgot on my tweet, went in the portal, and I think he's in the portal again. Connor Blumert came here, switched positions. It was an H back his last year. And Devin Farrell into the portal. <laughs> uh, that is not a great track record of quarterbacks. No. I tweeted that, and people are like, this happens everywhere. I'm uh, like, not to this level it doesn't. This I mean, is extreme, even by transfer portal standards, and it shows you just this revolving door that Virginia Tech's had the quarterback. I mean, you, you look at back in the day, and I know this is pre-transfer portal, but you know, Tyrod Taylor was here for four years where he started games or played in games. Uh, Logan Thomas was a three-year starter. I mean, even Michael Brewer was back-to-back years as a starter. It's was he been... the last guy to go two full seasons back-to-back? No, because he got injured. It was Thomas. Well, he got injured but, but that Brewer, one year. he would have done it had he okay. not gotten right. injured. Yeah, but I mean, just in terms of like... Being, Jackson would have done it if he had not gotten Being yeah. the primary starter two years in a row, he was the last one to do yeah, it. Depending right. on how you count Head and Hooker where that partial season in 2019 and then partial season in 2020, and then he left. I would love to, again, at some point for Virginia Tech to start one quarterback every game for two seasons in a row. It you, you is might a rarity. Be, yeah. You might be surprised what that does for you in terms of continuity and consistency and things like this that. Upcoming. It might. It might. And it, at some point it needs to happen. Well, I mean, you you point, look for the a reason for Virginia Tech struggles, and there are many. But the quarterback play and the revolving door quarterback has to be tops among the list. I mean, that was just something that Fuente never got right when he was here. And it seemed like he would right away. I mean, the season Gerard Evans had that first year, you're like, this is amazing. This is the quarterback whisper. <laughs> and then uh, I, I guess the whispering was for guys to just leave every time that they came close to starting here because they had no continuity there whatsoever. You don't have retention. You don't have development over time. And you get this you know, erratic quarterback play over and over. Like this happens at other schools too, but they find a guy to be a guy for a couple years. Uh, you know, Alabama has all sorts of players rotating through, but they also have the Heisman Trophy as yeah. their starter. And if you have that, then yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter if those other guys leave, but you have to have some options and you have to have some development and they just haven't had that. And it shows too, like as a student, um, granted I'm a sophomore and maybe it's because our quarterback's older, but 
the quarterback is like the big man on campus, right? Like the face of the athletics. Like everybody knows the football quarterback. Here, that's really not the case. You right now, the big man on campus is Liz Kitley and Georgia Amor, <laughs> which is pretty cool. But you say before that last year, it was Hunter Couture and Justin Mutz and ACC champs in basketball. The quarterback of the football team was never really not 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 relevant, but not the big man on campus that every student knows. Like, I bet half the student population might not be able to pick Grant Wells out of a crowd like we could. That's probably accurate. You know, yeah. compared to they could pick. The, granted, he wears a helmet. It's a different sport. But I don't know if they could pick him out of a crowd. Like I mean, the last could. one that was like that was probably... and I don't know if Hooker quite got there because it was just such a disjointed path to the starting. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't the starter at the start of 2019. Then he did, and then COVID and everything that came along with that. It probably goes back to Evans. And Evans was only at, in Blacksburg for one year. Right, it was less it was than one year, done. from January to December, yeah. basically, you know? Wow. Uh, Brewer, I will say, was very popular in town. Yeah. Like, st- students really liked Brewer. Uh, he was he was out and about all the time. He loved Blacksburg, loved Tech. He was actually back in town for the spring game this past weekend. Ran into him in McLean's the night before the game. So I would say it has to go back to Brewer, like the last quarterback who I think was like, if he shows up at Tots on Friday night, all the students love it because he's a really popular yeah. guy. Let me say the media loved Brewer too because yeah. he was such a great interview. He was, he was, he was yeah. one that he'd come in, he's like an assistant coach. Okay. You're talking to him. He was just somebody that was relatable that you could talk to that gave great long answers, occasionally introspective answers. I mean a lot of it was coach speak because he was like an assistant right. coach when you're talking to him. But you know, I feel like they haven't quite had that kind of guy. I mean mm-hmm. Evans certainly wasn't like that. Uh I just don't feel like they've had that kind of guy that has that uh savviness in, in media settings in a long time too. You, you know what's interesting is uh, Virginia Tech's quarterback play has gone downhill ever since uh, that uh, terrible night in Norfolk because that was the game Josh Jackson got hurt and lost the starting job. And he would have been he would have been the first quarterback at Virginia Tech probably to start two straight seasons. And he gets hurt and Tech loses and then it's Ryan Willis's job and Josh Jackson leaves. And then the cycle starts. And then the the Hendon Hooker, or then it's the Hendon Hooker, the Quincy Patterson, the the Ryan Willis. It's going around in a circle, Braxton Burmeister, whatever. Um, and Josh, Josh Jackson was a pretty consistent quarterback, at least for his first year that he was here. He was. Um, he was good here, and when we went to Maryland, he was not he was, good. He was maybe not the best. He was consistent. And, and he, he was fine. He, he got, wasn't. His stats, look at his stats at Tech compared to Maryland. Oh, he was awful at Maryland. Oh, no, this is the thing about Cornelson. This is a totally different topic. Cornelson never got the most out of his most talented quarterbacks, but he got more than he should have against his from his least talented quarterbacks. He should. There's a high floor. Yes, absolutely, a high floor and a, maybe a lower ceiling. Like he shouldn't have got as much out of Burmeister as he got. Burmeister finished his career as a third string wide receiver at San Diego State. There's no way. Tech should have gotten anything out of him. Tech shouldn't have qualified for a bowl game with Braxton Burmeister at quarterback, but they got the most out of him. But yet, when they had a higher talent level guy, they couldn't quite get the most out of him. Ryan Willis is your other example. Ryan Willis, after dropping to third string at Virginia Tech, he ended up on the active roster for the Bears for a little while. You know, you can't... The you, Spring League MVP. Spring League year. MVP. Like, you can't end up on an active roster in the, in the NFL if you lack talent. Right. And he so there's plenty of talent there. So that was the issue with Cornelson. Like he got he got the most out of his lesser talent, but couldn't get the most out of uh, his best talent. Well, you look at those first three years that they were here and Evans, Jackson, then Willis, those first three years, all three of them top 20 touchdown passes in a season, which doesn't sound impressive in today's day and age of college football, but relative to Virginia Tech's quarterback production over the years, that was... Top 20 nationally, you're saying? No, no, 20 touchdowns. 20 20 touchdowns. Uh, I mean, that that was rarely done here. I mean, it was only done a couple times. I think... Logan Thomas got there. Tyrod Once, got there one year. Uh, and I think like Shazo did Shazo, it I think, Yeah, year. way yeah. back in, in the day. Uh, so it, it wasn't something that like happened regularly here. And then they just uh, didn't continue, obviously. They just could not get that consistent production at the position. Interesting. Well, let's go ahead and uh, kind of flip a script here a little bit. Spring ball has concluded, and now guys are leaving. That also means guys are leaving other schools, and Virginia Tech can again look to bring new guys in. So what types of guys should Virginia Tech be looking out for in the portal? 
Uh, I think they should be looking at offensive linemen, uh, pass rushing defensive ends if they, can, if they can find one. And they apparently want an extra defensive back as well. Uh, he always wants an extra defensive he back. Have you noticed that? Defensive he's back. never satisfied with the number I, of defensive never, backs. He never is. The like, last year, he wanted like a swing guy that could be safety cornerback, and it might be the same that's situation. Exactly what it's going to be. So yeah. I'll I'll start with that. Antonio Carter of Rhode Island, uh, two years left, plays corner at Rhode Island, but also played almost 200 snaps in a in the box and corner, sort of like a quasi safety role. Mm. I had a really good year last year. Played his best game against Pitt. He dominated Pitt last year and uh he's got offers from Ole Miss Washington Iowa etc he's 6'1 200 pounds he's an excellent tackler uh so to me he is that ultimate swing guy he, he's he played mostly corner at the FCS level at the FBS level maybe he's more of a safety type um so he is a guy who I would who I could see ending up at Tech. I could understand why Tech has offered him. And they're also involved with Marcus Washington, who's a transfer from Georgia, former four-star recruit, played two snaps this past year as a true freshman and is now leaving. Uh, I don't know what kind of interest is in him. He's a true corner, I think, but I I don't see the need to take a corner. Tech's got a just Tech just signed basically every player in this defensive back class this past year, with the exception of uh, Mose Phillips, could potentially play corner. Obviously, they're not all going to play corner. They recruit versatile defensive backs. Cheetahs. uh, They recruit. They recruit cheetahs. That's exactly (laughs) right. And uh, so he seems to me to be. I don't know. We'll see where that goes. And I know you want to add talent to the program and, and everything like that, but. That would not be my priority, even though he was a four-star recruit at one point. It Uh, is strange with the numbers crunch, and maybe there's not. Maybe they have a plan, and they already know how many guys are going to leave right now. But that would not be the top thing on this roster that I look at. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got got Dorian, Mansoor, Canteen as cornerbacks. That's pretty good. And then there is that young group of guys behind them that Mm -hmm. are going to be inexperienced. But if you're the fourth cornerback— you're pretty much just trying to protect against injury at that point to one of those top three guys. I guess coming off a season where Dorian Strong missed nine games or whatever it was with a broken hand, that maybe that's in the back of prize minds. Like, I don't want to be caught in that situation again, where you have to hope that somebody like Mansoor develops as a freshman like that, which is rare. You're not going to get that all the time from a young cornerback like that. Um, I can understand some of the concern at safety, I think, yeah. in terms of depth. We've got Nasir Peoples. You've got uh, Jalen Stroman, and that's a strong one-two there. Then you're relying on a, a converted wide receiver, Jalen Jones, and a true freshman, Moe's Phillips, as backup. So that I can kind of understand. But if I look at this roster and I go, where do they need the most help? I say defensive end. They need a pass rusher in the worst way, and offensive line. I think they need some some tackles just to provide at least another option there in case Xavier Chaplin isn't the guy they think he's going to be, or in case somebody gets hurt and all of a sudden you're scrambling to fill those two spots. I, I think the the beef, the guys on the trenches, that's where they uh, should focus their attention, and I'm sure they are right now too. I'll start with defensive ends. Um, now, for these two guys, I don't have any confirmation the Tech has offered them or reached out. They're just two guys that would make sense. Um, Antoine Powell Ryland Jr. Um, you might remember him several years ago as a recruit. He was just named Antoine Powell. He's since added a lot more to his name ever since then. But anyway, two years left. You wouldn't think four and a half career sacks that this guy's a big time pass rusher, right? But over the last five games of last season playing for Florida, he had three sacks and 16 pressures. And he dominated against Florida State down the stretch last year. And he dominated, I forget, it was either Texas, I think it was Texas A&M down the stretch last year. He completely took over those games. I don't think there's a current defensive end on the roster who could do that. Is there I, a current defensive end that has four and a half career sacks on the excellent roster? Excellent question. That's, I, don't I don't think there is. is. I, don't look, I don't think it's I even close. It's right. right. probably um, McCray or Cole Nelson. I don't think either of them played probably, enough to get Yeah, you're right. You're right. About, certainly right about that. Um so to me, he's a take, uh, but he's, you know, he's got two years left. He's 243 pounds. You don't know how well he would hold up against the run, but he brings a dynamic to the, to the position that I think is missing right now. And I, and also I think it's cool that he, he's got two years left. That's good. It's not like he'd be come in one year and then, Oh, you're back to just like you were before with no pass <laughs> rushers. You know, you've got two years there. 
Another guy who entered the portal just this morning as I was writing my article, so it was perfect timing on his part, Isaac Ukwu. I, don't, I hope I pronounced the last name right. I really don't know. James Madison defensive end. This past season had 10.5 tackles for loss, 7.5 sacks. All of those numbers came in five different games, and in the other seven games there was no tackles for loss and, and no sacks at all. And he did this outside of one game against Louisville. He did this against group of five competition. Uh, interesting, he's the same class as Taiwan Garbutt, but he's still got one one year left. Uh, he got his COVID year, he redshirted, and he also had an injury and missed an entire season. So would be a seventh-year guy yeah, this year. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that would be some maturity in that That room. would be like that guy that came in from— Justice Reed. Yes, yeah. from Youngstown State, uh, who started his career at Florida, uh, I believe, yeah. Um, I don't think he would be, like, dynamic because, like I said, all of his numbers came against not great competition. But at the same time, I don't think— Virginia Tech has a defensive end on the roster who, like I said, with Powell Ryland, I don't think Tech has a defensive end who would have put up 10.5 tackles for loss and 7.5 sacks for JMU last year. So to me, he would be a take also. If he matched up in the scouting report, if that if that's what you're looking for, if he fits your system and things like that. Um, so those are two names I'm giving you a defensive end. There are a few names on the offensive line as well. Troy Everett, Appalachian State, originally from Lord Botetot. Three years remaining. He's got offers from Oklahoma, Missouri, a few others. 478 snaps against uh, for Appalachian State this past year. He did lose a lot of playing time towards the end of the season, but he was probably playing more than a, a redshirt freshman should have been playing earlier in the year. He's a little bit undersized to 285 pounds. He held up really well against the pass, but not so great against the run. But the key here is three years remaining. Like you don't need him to come in to start. You know, you need, him, you need him to come in and provide a second option at center so that they have the option of playing Caden more at times at guard if they need to. Because right now, I don't think they trust Jack Holyfield to put him in a game. Or, or if they did, I don't think they'd be recruiting Troy Everett. Um, so that that's an option. And those centers can interchange with guard yes. pretty easily. I mean, yes. those all, all three of those interior spots, I think, are pretty interchangeable. And that I look at that right guard spot right now with Bob Schick and Jesse Hansen uh, yeah. fighting out there in the spring. I don't know if that's settled or if they're satisfied with, with the play there. They were even playing Brody Meadows there, saw him in the right. spring game. Chris, you were, you were talking about the defensive linemen. Cole Nelson and C.J. McRae, Tech's presumably two starters at defensive end, have a combined nine tackles for loss mm -hmm. and five and a half sacks in their careers. Yeah, and ha half of that came against Boston College and Wofford last year. Probably, yeah. 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 yeah they just haven't played a lot. So right. I don't want to, like, bury them and yeah, say they yeah, can't do not. it. But, yeah. but I think they just need some experience. Yeah, they just need some guys there at that spot. Yeah. And if you can add somebody who's a, a top-end pass rusher, I think you've got yeah. to do it. Only, Absolutely. Only one guy last year surpassed that four-and-a-half mark that you were talking about. It was Garbett with six-and-a-half. Yeah. Everybody else had two or less. Good season I think, I think Garbett got there in the Liberty game. He had a huge Liberty game. Yeah, he had a big turned about, game too. Yeah, turned hey. out to be his uh, you know and career remember, ender there. It was but. it was a good. I mean, he missed two games with an injury, so he did that in in nine games. He yeah. didn't have a normal twelve game season. He missed two games. I think he was and then in that did. walking boot all fall. Yeah, I think yeah. The entire so was, season he never a really got out of that season. Thing. Considering that, um, I've got two other names. I'll get this one out of the way because. It's going to be really difficult to get Emmanuel Pregnon from Wyoming. I think he's the best player, regardless of position that's on this list. Massive off offer list. Three years left, right guard, exactly what you need. Dominant player. I think he could be an All-American type. I think he's that good. That said, for whatever reason, coming out of high school, nobody ever heard of him. He went to Wyoming. Now everybody's heard of him. Pretty much every every major school has offered him. So that would be a very, very tough get. It's a um, long trip to go. Where's he from originally? I think he's from Colorado originally. Okay. Um, you think Dion would be all over him with the, the I'm number sure of he available he, he roster probably, spots? He, he probably is. I saw his his list as of a week ago. He already had 21 offers. So I'm sure Colorado's on there. Um, here's the ultimate guy. We need to sign this guy just because of his last name. Jaden Muskrat. <laughs> Is that the Tulsa guy? Yep, the Tulsa Tulsa offensive tackle. Now, he's only 6'3", 
So he can play tackle or guard. He did play all of his snaps at right tackle for, for Tulsa last year. He's got Ole Miss, South Carolina, Penn State, and I believe he's got three years of eligibility left as well. Um, so he, but, but again, he's from Arkansas, and Arkansas has jumped in with an offer. So and, uh, it's, and their it's, head coach is former offensive line. Right, right. And the, so the point here I'm trying to make is uh, like good offensive linemen, proven offensive linemen, or at such a premium that like Troy Everett, who by the end of the year was only playing 10 snaps a game for Appalachian State, he's been offered by Oklahoma. Right. Right. That, that's uh, like nobody has good offensive line depth. All right, what Tech had there for a year or two under Vance Vice is not common in college football. Um, so this is kind of the norm. Uh, Tech is, you could have more depth than Virginia Tech has right now, obviously, but not a lot. Most teams don't have much more than Virginia Tech has. Now, it is possible, though. Like, uh, you can reach to, to a lower level. Like, like, Duke went down to the Ivy League last year, and they went down to the Division II level and found two starting offensive linemen, and that was a big part of their offensive line and what was a really good offense last year. You just have to be really good at evaluating guys that are right system fit and, and everything like that. And so those are the names I've got. Yeah, I'm sure it's nowhere near a complete list. Some of these, uh, some of these portal guys, they treat their recruitment like they're not in high school, like they've already been through the process once before. And they've figured out how much of it is BS. You still see a few of them tweeting out all their offers. So that's how I know Pregnon has 21 offers or whatever, you know, because he reports them all. But some of these other guys, like. How many of the 21 are legit offers? Uh, in the, for Portal, they're legit. Okay. Yeah, it's, you're not stringing anybody out over eight months. It's, right. it's a right. two-week process, okay. right? Uh, but, like, Antoine Powell-Ryland, he entered the Portal, and he hasn't tweeted out any offers which is ridiculous because you know he's got a bunch of offers. He's a guy that produced down the stretch for Florida last year. Um, uh, so some, it's just – Tech is – I guarantee you Tech is recruiting portal guys right now that we've never even heard of and we won't hear of until the day they commit. That's just the way it works. Well, you look at that list and it's like, oh, my gosh, how would they have room for all these guys? Yeah. Like, they're casting a wide net. Yes. Because, like you said, there's a lot of competition. I mean, if they were to get one or two of these guys on this list, I think that would be – quite an accomplishment because it, it's tough to pull guys when there's where there's all this competition and you know there's uh, a lot of cash out there yeah <laughs> there's there a is. marketplace it's, i know it's not supposed to be an inducement for somebody to go somewhere but let's be honest in I, this I was, whole situation I, I there's was, a lot of sec money out exactly there. i was talking to a basketball coach uh i know yesterday who has a lot of his players recruited by major programs and uh we were talking about how much it costs to get a proven big man in the transfer portal these days. And uh, I threw out a specific number that was, uh, well, I'll say, like, I said 100 grand. And he said, uh, that's not really going to get it done for, a pr for most proven big man on the transfer portal market in college basketball these days. That's just the way it is. And football is worth more money than basketball. Now, because some of it depends on the position, like good quality big men in basketball. There's not that many skilled big men. They're going to go out there and score 16 points a game or something right. like that. There's like, so they're going to cost more than like, there's a lot more guards and, and there's a lot more good guards in basketball. So they're cheaper than a big man. So you get my point. So like you're, you're, you're going to have more, like I'm not paying as much for a good defense back if it was me, because there's more, Generally speaking, there's more good defensive backs available. I would play a premium for a really good proven offensive lineman, though. So the, and these are the things. And yes, I know technically you don't you, you don't recruit, but let's face it that that's what's going on these days. You have to do it, or you're not going to recruit well. So if you're prioritizing your money, that's where mine would be prioritized right now. Would be up front to show you how much the price has gone up on this stuff. Uh, when I was covering Auburn during the Cam Newton thing, <laughs> the allegation was his dad asked for 180000 for Cam Newton, right. the undisputed Heisman Trophy winner and number one pick. Now, I didn't, nobody knew exactly that he was going to become that, but he was a six foot six, 250-pound former top prospect that went to Florida. Uh, so you thought he could be pretty good in that whole thing. So he was a five-star Juco guy. So that was a bargain for Auburn. If, you know, they paid him 
probably did. They never proved it out there, but uh, <laughs> you know, he was eligible for the national championship game. But like, man, you think about that back then, it's like 180,000 for a national championship and a Heisman trophy winner. Like today, I mean, that's seven figures at this point. There so were, it's amazing. Like the fact that for so long that wasn't allowed when this was the market that was out there, uh, so maybe inflation is a little bit of a factor, this sort of thing, but not that much. <laughs> there so, was, yeah, there was a certain quarterback committed to tech a few years ago, and he eventually decommitted and went to a certain school in the SEC. He happened to be about five feet, 11 inches tall and never ended up doing anything. Um, I always heard the price on him was like 250 K and he was five eleven. So, yes, the price has gone up. <laughs> For players who aren't as good as your Cam Newtons, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's the way the sport is played. I mean, well, to be honest, that's maybe the way the sport has always been played. It's just now above board and uh, a little more legal, even though there's still that gray area between what schools can do and, and what collectives can do and stuff like that. But this is the reality of the sport now. As much as people want to sit here and say this is an amateur athletics and people should play for the joy of the game and an education, it's like it's not. It's minor league football, and fans need to treat it that way. I think. And until you're you're invested and and want to play it that way, and, and you're not holding out this hope for this, you know, mythical student athlete experience <laughs> that people want to go harken back to this, you know, halcyon era of college football. Uh, that's just not the way it is. That's not the reality. And if you do that, your team's going to stink. You're going to be one of the worst teams in college football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, either drop to FCS or get with the program. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I think uh, I think David Teal said it really well. I believe it was this morning on Twitter when he was talking about NIL and everything like that. He's like, look, the only thing that's going to change this is either collective bargaining or Congress stepping in. So you might don't, well. hold, don't hold your breath on Congress. <laughs> exactly. Not the most functional right, uh, right, legislative right. body out there. Uh, I, yeah, I've always thought that collective bargaining. Yeah. As soon as there are enough college administrators that just acknowledge this for what it is, right. a minor league sport, and collectively bargain and figure things out. And then I wouldn't feel so bad about you know putting restrictions on when you can transfer. You know, yeah. if you have a contract and you can't break the contract, it's one thing. But if you're like, you're just a student, just like everybody else, it's like, well, every other student can just up and leave to another school whenever they want to without penalty. So don't give me this, you know, oh, poor coaches can't figure out their rosters and stuff. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Sure. Like, like if, if Ohio State wants to come in and steal one of your players, you're like, okay, well, you signed a contract, so we'll let you sign with them, but they have to. They have to pay us. Right, for right. It, yeah, yeah. Once it gets to that point, I, I know there are all these people out there that are like, that's the day I will stop watching college football forever. It's like, first of all, I don't believe you. Yes. I think yeah. you will continue watching <laughs> college football in that instance. And second, I think that's that's the only way in this whole process where I feel like everybody's being treated fairly. Yeah. And that I've been in favor of this college football uh, player empowerment thing because it, this is just the direction you need to go. The, the, sh the balance of power was so shifted towards one side for so long and the amount of money that was coming to the sport going to that side specifically, administrators, football coaches, and not the players who are putting their bodies on the line that are, you know, the talent in this whole equation. I want to see a little more equitable, equitable split. And I think you do achieve that through collective bargaining eventually, I, as soon as they get their minds around the idea that that's what it should be. I, I definitely agree. Like, the fact of the matter is, you know, a coach can up and leave any anytime he wants. And as the rules as they were, players could not. Uh, they couldn't do things regular students could. They couldn't do things coaches could. So I thought it was unfair to them. They do. They did need to be given more leeway. Now uh, it's 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 like, well, they're young people, and it's just like you treat any other young person. You give them a longer leash, but as soon as they start to abuse it, then you have to reel them back in a little bit. So I, I look at some, like, there was one player for LSU's women's basketball team, played for four schools in four years or something like that, uh, or five years. And, like, okay, even your worst coaches who move around a lot, they don't coach that many schools in that many years right now, right? So I feel like we're in the okay, we gave you more freedom, now let's let's reel it back in a little bit stage. But at the same time, I don't think you can really do that unless there's some sort of collective bargaining, which I think the quicker we get there, the better it will be for the sport. Because it's not going back to the way it used to be. 
So you either get on board with where it's going or jump off. On that note, we got one more little piece of football <laughs> if we can squeeze it in here. Brand new commitment just today about an hour or two before we came in for the show. Uh, defensive lineman Emmett Laws out of DeMatha Catholic. What do you guys know about him? If anything, I know this is very new news. I'm interested to see, do you think Elijah Brooks had any influence? Granted, he's a running backs coach, but he was the head coach at DeMatha Catholic. Probably still has some ties there. Oh, he's the, he was Maryland's lead recruiter there. Ever since he left that school and started coaching for Maryland, he's always been the lead recruiter at DeMatha. So he's had a relationship uh, with them at Laws for quite a while now. And I think Laws, it was what it sounded like he was going to go to Pitt, which was a great choice for a 260-pound undersized defensive tackle because somehow Pitt turns those guys into NFL All-Pros. Um, but once Brooks ends up at Virginia Tech and with that relationship established, Virginia Tech was able to get him to commit. And I think it looked like he was going to Pitt. So I think this is a direct situation where hiring Elijah Brooks has, has, a, has a big impact on Virginia Tech recruiting. It, and that's an important region, an important school for Virginia Tech recruiting. Uh, Elijah Brooks to that area, it's, it's kind of like Fontel Mines in Richmond. He's a guy that's very well respected and who knows everybody and has a lot of personal connections. So I think it's a big deal. And I also think Laws is a very good fit for the system. He's not a traditional like NFL defensive tackle or anything like that, although you know, some of those guys Pitt is, is putting in there these days. I don't know if you can really say that uh, in, anymore. But uh, ultimately, I, I think if you want if you want twitch, as Charlie Wiles used to call it in, in your defensive line, if you want a one-gap guy who is very difficult to block, low center of gravity, very quick, uh, this is a guy who would, who would fit in those past Virginia Tech defensive lines that had Maybe a little bit undersized at defensive tackle, but some big-time disruptors. You could do a lot worse uh, defensive line recruiting than just following everything Pitt does and trying sure. to get those same guys. Maybe the exception of Naquan Brown. I don't think he worked <laughs> out up there. Uh, yeah, they, they did not take a defensive tackle in last year's recruiting class. And you look at uh, the age on some of the def defensive tackles they have now, Narell Pollard, Mario Kendricks in their last season, Josh Fugas or Richard Sr. I think he has a COVID year that he could yes. use, but never guarantee. Uh, you could be losing your top three guys in that room right now. Uh, Feldarius Payne's in his last year. I think he might play some tackle this year uh, if he's healthy enough to do it. So you just need to replenish that room because it is tough to find large human beings like that. And you, you don't just pick them out of the transfer portal easily. It's a, they're in a lot uh, less supply than those smaller defensive backs and receivers, of which you know more of the population out there just is. <laughs> they're not that size. So finding guys that are you know 300 pounds and can move uh, and play defensive tackle, that's not always an easy thing. So I, I think you never want to be caught uh, shorthanded in that position because it's not a quick fix. Uh, sure, maybe you could go over to your offensive line room, but that's not exactly this well-stocked pool of guys right now, too. They're getting closer to that right now at Virginia Tech, but it, it's just a tough thing to do. So you don't want to be caught shorthanded there. I think it's, it's good that they're addressing that. They probably could get a few more guys in this class at defensive tackle. And uh, they have a Laws, and they have Lamar Law as well, who's ahead of him. So you know maybe in the future they could have two Laws on the interior line there. I fought the laws, and the laws won. That could be a great headline. And I, hopefully it happens. They have to work on opportunities. These are the sort of things I'm thinking of with this kind of addition. Both those guys are required to be good players now, just so that headline. I mean, think of the marketing caption. possibilities. They could be, it could be like a police-themed thing. They could wear the you know Chips Patrol glasses that, or something yeah. like that. That'd be great. Law and laws chip in on a, on a sack yeah, yeah. together. NIL opportunities uh, galore with – Anything uh, going on in Blacksburg? All right, well, he picked Virginia Tech amongst, like you mentioned, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Maryland, Boston College, Akron, Marshall, UMass. Penn State did offer him, Temple, Toledo, and USF. So not a bad list uh, oh, towards yeah. the that's, top half at all. Pretty that's good, a good list. good list, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right, well, that wraps up our football conversation. When we come back, David and I are going to chat about both baseball and some of the big commits on the women's basketball side of things out of the transfer portal. That's coming up next. It's the Tech Sideline podcast on a Tuesday from Blacksburg.
Welcome back, Hokies fans, to episode 295 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Giovanni Heater joined alongside David Cunningham with you. And uh, before we get into our action, let's go ahead and give you a quick word from Virginia Green. Virginia Tech is partnering with Virginia Green to help create healthy lawns all across Virginia. Register for a chance to win free lawn care with Virginia Green for the 20. 23 season thank you once again to virginia green the show also brought to you by first bank and trust company now let's get into our virginia tech baseball talk then we'll talk about the women's basketball incoming transfers as well first with baseball want to kind of give you guys a 300 level view uh, a little bit of a recap of baseball up to this point and for our casual fans that are tuning in towards the later stretch of the season uh with the excitement of last season as well and kind of trying to build off of that, um, where this team is at. And that's kind of what we're going to bring you. So uh, started 2-8 and eight in ACC play, really turned it around after winning uh, the UVA series, two out of the three games in that. Beat Georgia Tech, ble- beat Florida State. A couple of tough losses, though, David, to Radford most recently. Before that, it was Liberty in those midweek games. You got JMU tonight, North Carolina coming up this weekend. Some injuries, a lot to talk about there. So just what is the state of Virginia Tech baseball in your mind? Well, I think... Um... You know, and, and of course, Chris Hirons was on TSL today that aired on Monday. Go check that out. Chris can obviously give you a more in-depth uh, view. I will actually, we will both be at the baseball game tonight. I'm going to write a, a story that you can check out on TexasIsland.com coming Wednesday morning. Um, kind of just about this turnaround, right? The Hokies were 2-8 and eight in the ACC. Um, they've won eight of their last 12 games. Mm-hmm. Two of the losses have been against Liberty and Radford. Um, it doesn't help that, you know, Griffin Green, Griffin Green got injured. Um, Jack Hurley got injured this past weekend. We'll find out more about those guys um, tonight, I'm sure. Um, Tech's kind of been nagged by injuries all year. Chris Canizaro dealing with a bone bruise. David Bryant had something, you know, for a while. I think a lot of the bullpen just had – Little stuff here, there, and missed chunks of time. Um, and I also think it just it took Virginia Tech a while. It took a lot of the young guys and a lot of the transfers, a David Bryant, for example, to find consistency, right? It, in a way, Virginia Tech didn't necessarily have all of its pieces at one time. And it struggled to put together, you know, after starting 12 and 2 or whatever it was. Tech struggled to put together, you know, stretches of kind of like they go on the road to pit and, you know, take one game maybe, but, but lose the other two because they're outmatched in the bullpen or their hitting's not, it was always, it was always something. And they started to really find their groove. Um, like you mentioned, swept Georgia Tech last weekend, first sweep of the season. Um, even though Griffin Green, you know, didn't pitch this weekend, Anthony Arguez, Pitched very well on Friday at Florida State. Hokies get the win. Destroyed the baseball that afternoon. Yes. Drew Hackenberg pitches Tech's first complete game since 2019 on Saturday. In a bullpen day on Sunday, even though the Hokies lost 4-3, you know, a lot of that was because they didn't have a hit after the fourth inning. But Jonah Herney and the rest of the bullpen pitched well. I think if they can continue to put the pieces together, they're in good position the hitting has gotten better, and I think the big thing is it's runners on base, right? They've gotten a lot of guys on, just just getting them across the plate. That That's the biggest thing, um, but they're in really, really good position. They're currently 10-10 and 10 in the ACC after starting 2-8, which is kind of similar to what men's basketball did two years ago, right? Right. Maybe a little bit easier in baseball because you play, you know, three games a weekend, um, but it's not easy by any stretch, and the fact that they've been able to turn this around – you know, one series at UVA went took one from Duke, which is impressive. Duke's won five games in a row. Duke's really, really hot right now. Hokies are in fourth place in the AC Coastal Division, right? And the other three teams ahead of them have 12 wins. They're right in the conversation. They got North Carolina this weekend. They got Clemson next weekend. Then they got Wake Forest. Wake Forest is obviously probably the best team in the conference. But... Clemson and North Carolina are are teams the Hokies can beat. 
um, maybe even get four, you know, four wins in two weekends from. Um, I think you should be able to win both those series if you're Virginia Tech, assuming everything kind of plays in your favor and you don't have any more injury hiccups. Um, but but they're in good position, and I think that's the important thing. They're still projected to be in the in the field for the NCAA tournament. I believe the uh, the the last projections from D1 Baseball, which came out before the Florida State series that Friday had the Hokies as a three-seed in the Gainesville Regional in Florida. So Hokies are in the conversation. If they can make some noise here down the stretch, you know, I think the biggest thing, like you mentioned, you can't lose the midweek games, right? right? And that right. starts tonight against JMU. But they're in good position, right? Continue to to pitch well, continue to use the bullpen. They're going to need good outings from their starters still. Um, but everything's kind of coming along. And it's been interesting to see because... There was a point there where it was, well, what's going on? But I think a lot of those guys were, were still kind of getting acclimated to, to playing at the ACC level after, you know, Tech absolutely crushed the baseball in those first 12 games through those, you know, basically up to that first Boston College series. And then you go, you know, you have Boston College and you kind of get shocked a little bit. And BC's a good team, um, but just kind of up and down and up and down. And then the UVA series was when it kind of turned it around. No doubt. All right, let's go ahead and talk women's basketball now. Thanks for the uh, update on baseball. Big thing, they got to find a way to get healthy uh, as far as baseball goes, especially. Uh, women's basketball, some big incoming transfers. We said, hey, it's only a matter of time before Kenny makes some big moves, uh, and he has done just that. I know you had already talked uh, with Carter on TSL today uh, about Alana Michaud uh, out of Minnesota, so we can briefly touch on her, and then I just kind of want to go one by one through the three and give people a good background on them. But just to update people that maybe didn't see that on Michaud briefly. Yeah, she's, uh, I believe she's 6'2 forward from Minnesota. She's originally from Michigan, um, all Big Ten honorable mention performer. She's kind of like your Taylor Soul replacement. Maybe not as versatile, but she's a good defender. Uh, was top five, I believe, in the Big Ten in blocks. Um, she's a good defender, somebody who can run the floor pretty well. She provides an, a, a going to be kind of a dynamic duo down there with her and Elizabeth Kitley. Um, she's a very talented player. She's got uh, two years of eligibility remaining, which I think is important. Um She's a good fit for Virginia Tech. She should start right away, um, you know, throw her in the lineup in the front court right next to Elizabeth Kitley. That's not somebody teams can help off on. Uh, and I think it's kind of a very similar situation to how the Hokies had Taylor Soul, right? Um, you had to know where Taylor Soul was at all times. Um, Soul obviously has some athleticism that is hard to come by in women's basketball. Um, I'm not going to say Michelle has that, but. I think she is a solid option on both ends of the floor and gives Virginia Tech what Tech needs, which is a, a piece to the puzzle, right? She's going to be a solid piece to the puzzle that is going to contribute in a number of ways. Maybe she's not going to be super flashy. Maybe she's not going to wear a cowboy hat like Taylor Soul. <laughs> uh, she might not be the life of the party like Taylor Soul was. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens when, when October rolls around. Um, but she is a good pickup. How about Matilda Eck out of Michigan State? This was uh, one that people were pretty excited about. So she's the most recent commit. Um, the one we'll talk about next, Olivia Sumiel from Wake Forest, was in the middle. Eck comes from Michigan State. She's Swedish. She'll be the second Swedish player to play at Virginia Tech under Kenny Brooks following Reagan McGarity, who okay. was Tech's all-time double-doubles leader. Um, so she's a great shooter. She and George Amor and Kayla King are a combined about 39% from three-point range. They have over 600 career three-pointers between the cow. three of them. She's a great shooter. She averaged about 12 points per game uh, with the Spartans. Uh, she's got two years of eligibility left. She's played two, has two left. Um, she's That's big. Uh, she was two-time Big Ten Oliver mention. I believe she was a, a, on the all-freshman team as of last year. Um, she is a, a really talented player. She doesn't necessarily, I don't think, have the ball handling skills that somebody like Kayana Trailer did. Instead, I think it's more of a like for like in comparison to Kayla King, right? She'll be somebody that can sit across from Kayla King on the other wing and teams have to be aware. Um, that is a gnarly backcourt with three, like, like that's three 
players in the backcourt, three guards who have taken over 1,000 career point three-pointers combined. They have over 600 career makes. Like, like this backcourt is going to be very dangerous. Um, I think she's going to fit right in, right? And, and she's a good defender, too. I think that's important. Um, you know, I, Hokies have been so underrated on the defensive end. Um, I know we didn't necessarily underrate them, but I think a lot of people around the country were like, oh, Virginia, Texas offensive team, George Amor, Liz Gitley, yada, yada. Tech's been just as good defensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of holding Florida State and Duke and Miami to certain number of points in quarters this year. This is a good defensive program. It's important that the Hokies continue to re-up it defensively. And I think Ek and Mishu and Sumiel, I think they're all good defensive additions. And Ek, man, I mean, you put her and Kayla King next to each other in Hanhurst and Castle Coliseum. I mean, I, I feel bad for those Nets and Hanhurst, especially with Hunter Couture returning. Yes. Like, you got Couture and Amor and Ek, and it's going to be a mess in terms of, like, those Nets are going to take a beating from the number of three-point shots that you know, they're, they're going to be seeing over the next, you know, between now and, and next April. How about our last one? Olivia Sumiel out of Wake Forest, another big one as well. Yeah, Sumiel, I think she's she's going to be more of a DeAsia Gregg replacement. Um, okay. More of a depth piece. She has the ability to start, and she started a lot of games for Wake Forest over four years, um, and she's somebody that the Hokies have come to know pretty well. I mean, she's played against them a couple times. Um, obviously, ACC um she's very smart uh she's a very talented basketball player and she's also a good three-point shooter um you might not think of it because of her size she's a forward six one six two ish but she's very very talented in the pick and pop game um you know so I, I think the Hokies are going to be able to manipulate a lot of stuff right you've got Georgia Amore and then you've essentially got you know, assuming Elizabeth Kitley does as Kenny Brooks says and continues to develop that three-point shot or gets comfortable doing it, you're going to have a team that all across, you know, all over the floor, everybody can shoot three-pointers. I think Sumiel is a good addition because she plays good defense. Um, She was somebody, I think, in the top five, ten in the ACC in blocks, um, fourth, I believe. Um, She's a good defensive player, a solid big, again, kind of like the DeAsia Gregg, right? She's going to do all the little things, um, she's going to hit a, a three when you need it most. Um, those three additions, exactly what the Hokies needed, right? The Hokies, again, weren't necessarily looking for superstars. They're not necessarily looking for the Haley Van Liths. They're looking for puzzle pieces, as Kenny Brooks would describe it. Players who can come in and are comfortable accepting a role and understanding that Hey, I apologize, but uh, we have some breaking news. I apologize to interrupt, but I just received a text message. Yes. Did Nick text you? Carter Hill texted Robbie me. Baran officially committed. I told you. All right. Uh, so I Beautiful we'll, we'll finish, we'll finish this in up. a second. Um, I was going to say, uh, Nick, you want to run in there and, and get Chris Coleman and ask if Chris wants to come on real quick and we can Not break, a bad idea. break down Baran? Not a bad idea. Um, while, while the two of us are sitting here, we'll do a, a quick... Uh, live thing, um, and we can cl- we'll we'll do it as the podcast, and I think we might clip it as a separate little thing. As yeah, well I think and, it. And post I think double. it'd be great. Yeah, um, yeah that's a, so my initial thought. As can we can we continue talking about yeah. women's basketball yeah, yeah, yeah. for just a second? Um, this is big. I, I'm excited. Yeah, no, Robbie Baran. First of all, men's basketball commit. Um, he six nine forward from the collegiate school in Richmond. Played four years at Northwestern. Um, he. He's going to be good. No no from Chris? He's not here. Oh, Chris left. Chris went to the gym. That's fine. Well, I'll, I'll get to post. Good. This is what happens when you prep ahead of time, folks. We've already gotten a story in the works, so uh, I just have to go post it after this is done. Um, that's a big-time pickup. We'll, we'll transition to Baran real quick because, f- to your point, women's basketball in the right spot. Uh, Hokies picked up the right players. Virginia Tech is at 11 scholarships right now for the women. 11 scholarships, that means they've got four open I would expect Tech to pick up one or two players still. I think you want maybe another backcourt piece and maybe another frontcourt piece. It'd be nice to have a little bit more depth. Kenny Brooks doesn't like to use his depth often. I think he still, I think he, I think he likes keeping a tight rotation, and especially when you've got you know two All Americans, it's tough to take people off the floor. But I do think it'd be good to get people with 
extra years, kind of like, and this is an interesting point, Amor is obviously here, but Ek and Mishu both have two years of eligibility left. So you're building to the future a little bit, right? Where you could look at a core, if you can get somebody else in that maybe sits behind Sumio and Kitley and, and Michaud for a year, you're kind of building that for next year too, assuming George Amor comes back. Obviously, that's way far down the road. But uh, but I do think they're in the right spot, and I would look for them to probably pick up one or, or two different players still in the portal. Sweet. I, I almost feel bad that uh, the excitement of this commitment halted our uh, women's basketball talk, and we're going to continue to talk women's basketball all the way up until it starts again. You know, that's the excitement yeah. with it, with how good they could be again. Um, but Robbie Baran, David, take it away. Uh, yeah, I was trying to tweet. Uh, I think this is a this is a big time commitment. He's a six nine forward, as I said, from the collegiate school in Richmond. Um, he spent four years at Northwestern. Uh, wasn't necessarily a a, ro- a a guy that was counted on to score, um, but he can be a reliable scorer. I, I think he'll kind of take on that that role. He'll start immediately. He'll be that fifth piece again. This is the final piece of the roster for Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, the Hokies are going to be like his commitment. The Hokies are at thirteen scholarships, so that's the cap. Um, I wouldn't expect any more attrition. That's just me. Um, Mike Young's kind of, I, I think the Buchanan was understandable. Um, and I think the Rodney Rice, he's staying. Darius Maddox. I mean, all, everything that happened so far makes sense. Baran kind of rounds out this roster. He gives Mike Young this focal piece, right? In the past, it's been Kevin Luma, Grant Bazilli, Justin Mutz, obviously another big out of the portal that Mike Young is a, a big time guy. Mike Young has picked up. Um, Baran is, is Mike, Mike Young likes these guys that can stretch the floor and he's a pretty good three point shooter. Um, he's good at the free throw line. He's a solid rebounder. He's kind of what Virginia tech needs. He'll be able to stretch the floor. He's essentially a, a Grant Bazilli 2.0, maybe a better defender, I would say. Um, and I think he has more of the ability to play both the four and the five comfortably. Okay. So if the Hokies want to go a little bit bigger, right, maybe bring on a Lynn Kidd um, or Mawajal Potit. He has the ability to play the four, I think, a little bit more than Grant Bazilli did. I think Bazilli was more of a five. Um, Big-time pickup for Virginia Tech. Looking forward to seeing uh, both him and Makai Long in the front court together. That uh, That's going to be some exciting stuff. All right, well, David, uh, final question for you. What's coming up this week on TSL? Oh, boy. Um, we've got – I've got baseball stuff. Uh Andy and Chris, I think, are probably going to have some football things. Um, I'm sitting down and chatting with a couple of the women's basketball assistants tomorrow. This is on Wednesday morning. So I'm going to have a story on Thursday coming out. Going to talk more about – I'm really excited for this. Um, For those of you who do not know, Will Sims was the director of player personnel or player development. Um, He's kind of my age, 25, 26, 27, graduated from Indiana a couple years ago. and Virginia Tech did not have a full-time third assistant this year. Will Sims stepped up and did a lot of scouts. And he had the ACC championship scout for Louisville. And he had the Elite Eight scout for Ohio State. Right. Two games Virginia Tech won. Two of the biggest games in program history. Not Evan just, interviewed him after not the just game, year. Right? Yes, yes. Evan, interview, okay. Evan Hughes interviewed him on the Virginia Tech Sports Network after the Hokies won the Elite Eight game. I'm talking with him and uh, and Lindsey and Rad, the other two assistants, Um tomorrow so i'm really excited about that and obviously i'll have some baseball stuff and um i know we'll have we'll have baseball softball stuff uh go check out techsideline.com you can read more about robbie baran i'm gonna post a story as soon as i get off this um big again big time pickup for virginia tech exactly what the hokies needed he had a final three of virginia tech miami and virginia so the fact that the the fact that the fact that mike young can kind of pluck him and pull him away from jim laranaga and tony bennett that's big. Big time pickup. So, yeah, lots coming up on, on Tech Sideline this week. And uh, um, I'm interested to see, I think, obviously, the big story right now is transfer portal stuff. Um, Andy and Chris will keep you up. You know, we'll keep you updated on what football players are in the transfer portal. And then outside of that, um, it kind of comes down to um, baseball and softball. That's what's coming up right now. 
All right. Well, that'll do it for episode 295 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Today's show is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, as well as Virginia Green. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube. And we'll see you next time for the Tech Sideline Podcast. Thank you.